This is Season 2, Episode 1 of the Steady Trade Podcast. Today, we're taking a stroll down history lane by learning some of the key lessons from the very first day trader, Jesse Livermore. Take a listen. This is the Steady Trade Podcast, powered by Stocks to Trade with Super Hip, audiobook listening, rookie Steven Johnson, and the old losing his eyesight because he only reads books the old shizzle-fashioned way, Tim Bowen. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. I'm Tim Bowen. What are we going to talk about today, Stephen? Honestly, there is not a better way to start season two than by going back in history. And there is not a better trader to look at than Jesse Livermore, one of the all-time greats from the late 1800s to the early 1900s known as the boy plunger and you know why he was the boy plunger tim i do know why actually because (laughs) unlike your lazy ass i actually did my homework and read this book as opposed to listening to it while i was laying in bed half asleep but i'll let you tell me why he was called the boy plunger uh, well, I just want to say that we don't we don't read books anymore. Reading books is for old people. Uh, <laughs> most of most of, I don't know if you've heard of a company called Audible, <laughs> but, but they play them now, <laughs> and you can do shit on the go. <laughs> but um, he was called the Boy Plunger because he liked to uh, shorts. He would go long and short. He would go both ways. Attention, attention! We interrupt this amazing conversation to bring you the following important message. Last season, we gave away Apple Watches, laptop computers, giant Tic Tacs, and a bunch of other cool things to 11 lucky listeners. And guess what? We're doing it again for season two. That's right, Timmy. Timmy! Timmy! We have prizes for 11 more lucky winners. And this time, check your watches. Everyone who wins will get three months of stocks to trade for free. Even the ones who won the giant box of Tic Tacs? Yes, but we have actually replaced the giant Tic Tacs with an epic, epic new gag gift. It's an even bigger gag gift, a better gag gift. I can't even say gag gift so many times, but I'm going to because this pillowcase is not just any pillowcase that you'll see. For this pillowcase, we've actually gently and carefully emblazoned a celebrity's face on it. Oh, uh, so I see the angle with the gag gift, but 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 so who who's the celebrity? Is it like OJ? No, this brilliant Kim, image. Kim Kardashian. This brilliant, brilliant image is going to be of my face. Ugh. Now that's a gag gift. I, I agree. Actually, you know, again, we we joke about how seldom we agree, but a pillowcase with your face on it is indeed a gag gift. I mean, I think we're calling it a gag gift. But I think it's meant to say that's a great gift, and I think we've just we just miswrote it or misspelled it. No, I think it's a gag gift. I mean, rolling over every morning to your ugly mug would certainly make me gag. You can enter to win like last time, and it is free, free for anyone. No purchase required and no strings attached. I bloody hate strings. So just register on our website if you haven't already. Then answer short survey questions after each episode. You could then have a total of seven entries that way. One just for registering on the site and six more for each survey that's attached to the episodes. But, da-dum-dum, there's another way to get entries as well. A bigger way. A better way. And we're going to level with you people right now. We want 
more iTunes reviews to get this show number one. So if you help us out, just give us your honest feedback in an iTunes review, positive or negative. Take a screenshot that includes your written review and your username and email that to admin at steadytrade.com. And that will count for like almost can't even count it on my fingers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven entries. Just to recap, number one, register at the website, fill out a survey after each episode in season two, then send us an email with a screenshot of your iTunes review. You will then be given a total of 14 entries into the random drawing for all of the 11 prizes. And we will be selecting our winners on Tuesday, December 12th, between 12 and 1 p.m. So answer your phone because we will be showing no mercy like Game of Thrones season six. If we call between 12 and 1 and you do not pick up, you will be disqualified. Check out the website for details and go leave your iTunes review right now right now right now oh maybe just right now he was called the boy plunger because he liked to uh shorts he would go long and short he would go both ways but he particularly could be very 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 heavy on the short side he would really really uh, take big positions shorting stocks when he felt he had conviction in them uh, but but jesse livermore i mean one of the main things about him is he started as a tape reader. The guy yep. started trading when he was 15 years old. Yeah, for I think 14 or 15, you know. So what he did, his first job was actually, and we're, we're going to talk about these bucket shops, but his job was actually, you know, you know, obviously it's the 18, 1900s. He was basically a runner where, you know, you know, you, you're used to, obviously today we have our, our platform. We have, we have stocks to trade that we're looking yeah. at and we see all the ticker movements. But basically what he, you know, you think back again, you know, we talk about like uh, trading places and some of these stock market movies where all the guys are there and you see the big, the big scrolling tape of the tickers and the prices coming across the monitor and all the traders are there watching it. Well, this is the 1800s and you had a guy on a, 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 a telegraph tapping through the prices he would then write those down, give them to Jesse as a, as a young man, and he would run up to this big chalkboard and write the prices on the big chalkboard. And, and, and he has the mental thing, right? He has the mental thing. So Jesse was in this bucket shop, which I'll let you explain. Maybe it's the audio version. I maybe didn't understand it as well as you did. Don't know if it's because it's audio, but um, he, was, he was putting the tape based on orders when he was 14 years old, making a couple of dollars a day. And somehow he started to notice trends, notice patterns, and he started thinking, well, the only way to have conviction in knowing that I'm predicting these patterns, right, because he started to be able to predict the patterns. He thought, well, the only way to to know for sure if I'm right is if I bet on them. Mm -hmm. And then he started betting on them, and to his surprise, he was right. Yeah, and what's wild is again, even as a even as a young man, as as the book starts, he talks about the fact that he started locating trends, just ba- and he didn't even know what he didn't know what stocks were, you know, they were also commodity prices. All he was seeing was a ticker and a price, and he'd mentioned that he'd always had a mind for numbers, always had a mind for math. He knew nothing about the fundamentals of these stocks, didn't know what they did, whether they were making money or losing money. But by running those prices back and forth, he recognized that XYZ ticker is trending higher. 
you know, ABC ticker is trending lower. And ultimately, you know, there's a lot of great books on trend following. Um, actually, Michael Cavell writes some of the best, and we'll probably go over them in the future. But some of the most successful macro traders, like billion-dollar traders, do exactly what he was doing as a 14, 15-year-old, following trends, strictly looking at and, – and he knew – that stocks that tended to go up day after day would continue to go up day after day. And stocks that broke support tended to continue to go lower day after day. Uh, and, and I mean, and this guy literally made and lost millions, but he didn't just made and lose millions once. He made and lost millions several times. I mean, which is insanity to me, but it all started in the bucket shop. And, and can you, Tell us what the book of Chop is. So what's, you know, something that I'd forgot. I I first read this book really back when I, you know, you guys have heard my story if you've listened to season one. But back in 2007, 2008, I was absorbing everything I could about the stock market. I mean, everything and anything. And Tim Sykes had always talked about reminiscences of a stock operator as being this classic tome of stock market history. So I'd read it 10 years ago and we talked about doing the podcast and reviewing it. So I reread it and I'd actually forgotten what a bucket shop was. I had thought it was a way for basically, I thought it was a, you know, these were rooms, uh, clubs. They were almost like pool rooms or poker rooms that yeah. were located away from the stock market exchange, maybe elsewhere in New York City, maybe in Chicago. I think Jesse started out in Boston. But obviously, again, we're the 18, 1900s. They don't have fiber optic lines. You know, they don't have no. gigabit connections to the internet. They had the telegraph and but what I thought a boiler or a, a, a it's different than a boiler room, what a bucket shop was is they would just take in all your orders. So if if I was buying stock, Stephen was buying stock, Joe and Jim, they would pool those orders and then they would actually take them to the exchange and it allowed basically the group to lever up their trades because yeah. these were these were guys with not much money. I was yeah. I, I I had totally misremembered. What a bucket yeah. shop actually was is your trades never went to the exchange, never went to the market. All they had was a telegraph into the exchange and they were getting the prices coming across the tape, but all of their orders were never executed. You would just put a hundred dollars in the bucket, you know, basically in the, in the hat, in, in the pool of money saying, I think X, Y, Z is going up. And it basically they traded it based on points. So if, if, if X, Y, Z went down a dollar, you lost your point your money was gone, hundred yeah. bucks gone. If the stock went up, you'd get the gain based on the coming across the tape. And um, so, so that was what was interesting to me. They were strictly speculating on price movement. It was very similar to basically betting on the horses, betting on the, on the, the dogs at the track, whether or not a dog would win or a dog would lose, whether or not a stock would go up or go down, and the bucket shop was originally created because of the technology of the ticker tape. I mean, obviously, if you were or, 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 or the telegraph, I should say, or, yeah. or the ticker tape, which we always joke about in the Adams family. Um, this is really going to date me. Do, do you remember the Adams family, Stephen? I don't. Dun, dun. <laughs> do, 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 do you have it? 
I don't know. I don't know it. What is this? Can you tell well, me? Well, well, so it's, it's, yeah, it's that basically it was a glass globe with a, it was, it was a printer. It was in essence a printer in the 18 or 1900s. I don't know when they first started, but the telegraph would hook into that. And as the guy at the exchange was tapping in, you know, I'm, I'm assuming everybody's seen some World War One movie or something. And that would then send the, the, the prints, okay, just like we talk about watching level one, the actual prints executing yeah, yeah. on the state, on the tape, that was the tape that would come across that. And they well, would just is- at the at the bucket shops reading that tape. And if XYZ went up, you won. If XYZ went down, you you went down, you lost. But that was what I didn't realize is that the trades never went to the exchange. Yeah, and, and this is not there's no there's no Jordan Balfat in these bucket shops. Jordan Balfat ran boiler rooms, not Correct. bucket shops. So the boiler rooms are the rooms where it's twenty people in a room like Wolf of Wall Street. The ringing, 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 ringing the phones, telling people you've got to buy this stock, you've got to buy this stock, and when multiple people buy the stock, they influence the price. Yep. But it's different because the bucket shops, you don't influence the price because the 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 orders are pooled. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, obviously, the bucket shop is just total gambling. Where the boiler room, you know, they're paid to sell stock. You know, last time yeah. season, and, and we talked about it in Wolf of Wall Street. But um, you know, they might get a hundred thousand dollars to move a million shares of the stock. So they're just pushing. You know, they're pumping stocks. Bucket shop, very different. Okay, I think I think we've big Jesse up a little bit. I think we should. Uh, what do you think about showing people some of the book? Listening, yes. listening to yes. the book because you can't read it over the over the internet. Yeah, and actually, that's what I'd like to do. The one last thing I'd like to focus on Jesse and the bucket shop is is kind of related. It was interesting, and I highly, highly recommend reading the book. But uh, it was interesting how or he, listening to us. Yes, or listening to it if you're lazy like Steven. Um, you know, was interesting. He struggled and struggled for years to move yeah. beyond the bucket shop because once he started actually trading on the exchange, he started influencing prices. And that, especially because he was known for trading huge size, he would struggle for, for several years because you know, much like paper trading, we talk about paper trading as a great tool, but remember the market supply and demand. And even though paper trading is a great tool to learn trading, which we have in stocks to trade, you're still not actually influencing the market price and bucket shop the same way because those orders never actually hit the market. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm ready. I think there's no better way of starting season two. Let's, let's have the first clip. I was 15 when I had my first thousand and laid the cash in front of my mother, all made in the bucket shops in a few months, besides what I had taken home. My mother carried on something awful. She wanted me to put it away in the savings bank, out of reach of temptation. She said it was more money than she ever heard any boy of 15 had made, starting with nothing. She didn't quite believe it was real money. A couple of things I could touch on straight away. I don't know if you want to talk first, Tim. Do you have no, something no, go, in go ahead, go ahead. 
Well, for me, when I mean, I think a little bit more on the cynical side, but it's just the one thing you've got to do when you're trading, what I've realized is realize that the money is real. And a lot of people say, put a dollar bill up in front of you, put a $20 bill in front of you. Yeah, I know. I know. Nick, actually, I, ironically, I know that's a, it's a great point. I actually know some bigger traders that have a thousand or $10,000 sitting on their desk every day to, to see that stack of bills and know that it's real money. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and and for him, sometimes it probably is surreal. But I always think for people who are starting out, I think realize that it is real money because it, you can lose it as well as make it. Yeah, and I think that was actually something that that Jesse struggled with, and actually many, or you know, many traders that find success right away. Because I don't even think. For him, initially, that money seemed real. I mean, he was, I, again, I can't remember the exact age. I mean, he's a, he's like 15 and he's got a thousand dollars in 19, or it might, it might have still been the 1800s at the point that he was that age. So I mean, that's like probably to an 18 year old or a 15 year old today, it's probably like a hundred thousand dollars or something, whatever. But, uh, so I think that's one of the reasons he lost so much initially was he didn't, you know, it came so easy to him. He yeah. didn't have a real feel for the money. And trust me, again, part of being the old the old bastard, I'm not the greedy bastard, I'm the old bastard. <laughs> I've seen it a million times where there's guys that that have early success. They brag, brag, brag on Twitter about how it's so easy. They got it figured out, you know, easy yeah. profits, easy trade, and then all of a sudden, poof. It's like yeah. magic. They disappear. But I mean, from, from you can you can probably detail a different experience. But for me, it's it's been so surreal uh, being green the last I think the last eight weeks. Nice, now, awesome. which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and it's crazy. Like I'm so used to for the last year seeing red numbers every <laughs> every day. That were, like now when you have seeing green numbers, even though it's twenty bucks, thirty bucks, forty bucks, fifty bucks today, I'm just like this is mental. Like this is totally mental. And I'm like, is this really happening? Am I really chipping back at the money that I lost and making it back? But, but think about know to, you know, think about if, if if you were Jesse and you were you were 15 yeah. years old and your first like your basically your first couple real trades you made a hundred thousand dollars. What would your mentality be like at that point? Uh, you, you don't even want to know. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't even know if I'd be alive right now. I'd be dead. I, don't, I would have made it to twenty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would, I would have gone off the rails. No, but I mean, for you though, I mean, how does it feel to be successfully, regularly profitable, taking in the five hundred dollars, the thousand, the fifteen hundred dollar trades, whatever it is? Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, fortunately something that, that I, you know, I've always had, you know, the, the kind of, uh, I guess you'd go for lack, you know, it's a cliche, but that blue collar mentality where, I mean, obviously I've had big losses, but they've been few and far between. I've always treated it exactly like that. I mean, I've, you know, I'm a, I'm a family man. I've got kids. I got a mortgage. You know, I've always treated it like real money. One of the reasons you've never seen me post some $100,000 trade is I don't risk the kind of money it takes to make $100,000 in one trade. You know, the, people often overlook that if you got to, you know, we talk about three to one risk to reward. That yeah. means if you want to make a hundred grand in a trade, you got to be prepared to lose thirty three thousand if it doesn't work. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, that's kind of one of the reasons I've always been the blue collar, grinded out guy. Is I value and understand that it's real money. 
No, and I'm the, I'm the same. I'm like, I, I want to start having trades over $100. I want to start booking in $100 in profit. But then I'm thinking, I have to risk $30 to $40 to get that 100 And I'm like, oh, no, I don't know if I want to take that loss. So I'm still building up. But yeah, that's that's where I am. And and the other thing is is the the trading plan. And and this is what Jesse says a bit later on in the book, if we, if, we, if we can run this. My plan of trading was sound enough and won oftener than it lost. If I had stuck to it, I'd have been right perhaps as often as seven out of ten times. In fact, I always made money when I was sure I was right before I began. Whenever I read the tape by the light of experience, I made money. But when I made a plain fool play, I had to lose. I was only a kid, remember. So it's it's wild what he says there. Now, I think... You know, there might be a little bit of exaggeration or hyperbole there. I mean, he says every time he, yeah. he, he, he was prepared and man, made a plan, he won. Uh, I don't know about that. Of course, it was Jesse Livermore, maybe the greatest. I mean, again, back to just a real quick history. When you, like, take his dollar amounts and, and adjust them for time, I mean, they, I think there's estimates. I mean, he, he made and lost, like, billions of dollars. So maybe he was right every time. No, but what, but I, what I love about what he said is, so I'm going to take a little bit of the exaggeration out, and he said exactly what, what, what we preach all the time is when he made a plan, when he made an informed decision, when, when he thought about it, read the tape, didn't fight the tape, he won a significant majority of the time. When he went in and did random shit, he lost every time. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. Like, There's some situations where, especially it's good now, and it's October now, the markets are super, super, super volatile. <laughs> you, you're just looking across different stocks. And like for me, I'm just like, uh, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Everything takes the box. And you have those moments where you're like, ah, oh, this, this is exactly what I was looking for. And I, is that what he's talking about? I think it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically he's, you know, you know, there was a certain type of trade, you know, and again, he is, he, he you know, uh, not to beat it to death, but he's, a, he was a trend follower. You know, he would make, he was a day trader, but he was more what we'd probably call a swing trader right now where, you know, yeah. he would hold trades days, weeks, months, if he had to. And again, basically he said, if this stock is at 100 today, it's at 101 tomorrow, it's at 102, it's at 103, it's trending up. I'm going to ride yeah. this thing until the trend breaks. Now, when he did that, when he followed the trend, then it worked the majority of the time. Now, when he started getting outside of what he was good at and say trying to, you know, again, he was known as a shorter, but if he shorted a stock that was trending up, you know, he would typically only short stocks that had broken support and were failing, but he lost a lot of money by trying to fight the trend. And if he would short a stock that was up every single day, he'd get torched, he'd get torched, he'd get torched, and he'd ultimately yeah. lose, you know, several times. He lost all his money, was like borderline homeless because he fought the trend. So, I mean, what are you trying to say here, Tim? Are you trying to say that the trend is your friend. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're the first guy in stock market history. 
ever, ever to use that term. I, I, I just I, made it up right now. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I I've hope never you, heard it before. I've you, never you, heard it before. You, I, I suggest you rush <laughs> to the copyright office because I'm fairly certain I've never heard that term at all in stock. This is, this is the first time you've heard that term. I just yes. made it up right now. Yep. I literally just made it. I just thought of it right now. Remember, I've been following finance since the fourth grade and I've never heard anybody use that term that term before so what about what about the trend is your best friend <laughs> Ooh, you might you might have something there <laughs> but i mean i mean do, what, do, what do you think i mean in your i mean obviously i know you're a year into your journey but what is your success rate trading oh, you know God. you know again when, when and i know you're gonna guess but when you said this is this is you know when, when you took the time to plan the trade you took the time to do something that was working versus the times you just got impulsive and bought or shorted some stock that was up big on the day. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like my, my first trade of the day is nearly most often successful. And the second and third one is not. And oh, the really? reason it's not is, yeah, because the first one I've sat and planned for an hour and I've thought I'm going to do this. And if this happens, I'm going to do this. And if this happens, I'm going to do this. And and then I make a successful trade. I'm a bit confident. I think, oh, I'll just jump in this, and it and it fails. <laughs> it fails every time. Really, I don't. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. That's an interesting bit of information because, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think you're like, uh, you know, you're like a lot of day traders. You know, you're kind of fighting to trade in pre market, but you're watching pre market, and yeah, so you're staring at stocks for an hour and a half before you make your first trade. Versus the best one. Yep. Versus middle of the day and you just see something ripping or something dropping and you jump in. Interesting. Yeah, no, no. I'll, I'll really think about it beforehand. And, and all of the trades that you plan are generally, um, the, the generally most of the time they work out. It's always the impulsive ones where you think, oh, didn't look at that properly. I didn't see it that way. I didn't well, think remember, about it that way. You know, remember a key part of the plan, one of the main, main points of the plan is picking your stop loss before you enter the trade. Now, I almost wonder if that's what Jesse meant because he said he, you know, he was right every time. So I almost wonder if he's, if that includes stop losses, you know, maybe, maybe I misinterpreted him, you know, and, and, and assume he was exaggerating, but you know, Again, if I, if I, if my plan is to stop out for minus a hundred, minus 500, minus a thousand, whatever that number is, I don't consider that a bad trade. Never, you know? So I almost wonder if that's what he meant. Maybe he said he was right every time because he was just following his stop loss. Yeah. No, he, he, he was saying, he said, um, when I was, when I was certain about a trade, I was right almost every time. Right. Right. And again, I think also, you know, uh, from what I, you know, what I remember too, as well as, you know, is again, that fighting the trend, you know, he knew not to fight the trend. And when he did is ultimately when he took his biggest losses, because what he did then is of course he broke his plan, but then he started adding to a loser and yeah. especially, you know, and this is a valuable lesson for any new traders out there. Number one, I don't recommend trading on leverage if you are new. Number two, if you make that decision to trade on leverage as a new trader, you can never, ever, ever add to a loser on leverage. Okay. Yeah. And Jesse used leverage to the hilt. Okay. He would actually several of the times he went broke, he would actually borrow money and then borrow on margin. So he would leverage up borrowed money 
to make these ridiculous profits. But remember, leverage is a is is the definition of a double edged sword. Um, I recommend, first of all, again, as a new trader, I say don't use margin. But if you are as a new trader, you only use margin to add to winners. Because yeah. if you use that margin to add to a loser, it's going to get real bad real fast. Yeah, and, and, and to a degree, it's, it's okay if you're adding to a winner. And there's a, 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 yep. a story later on in the book where he buys cotton and it goes up. And he says, well, I'm going to add to a winner. Like you said, add to winners don't add to losers. And there was another time where he went broke in the book because he kept on adding to a short, adding to a short, adding to a short, and he, and he, he blew up because of it. Yeah, yeah. I, think at, I think at one point, I mean, he went from having like, I don't remember the exact numbers, but like tens of millions of dollars yeah. to owing, like he, he basically went around, got leverage at every brokerage shop in town, and he ended up owing over a million dollars to all those brokerage accounts or old brokerage companies. So from hundred million to owing a million to brokerage companies. I always knew I would have another chance and that I would not make the same mistake a second time. I believed in myself. A man must believe in himself and his judgment if he expects to make a living at this game. That is why I don't believe in tips. If I buy stocks on Smith's tip, I must sell those same stocks on Smith's tip. I am depending on him. Suppose Smith is away on a holiday when the selling time comes around. No, sir. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I, uh, you know, especially in Stocks to Trade Pro, I mean, well, you, you'll see me do it. I mean, I, I am adamant that a trade has to be my idea. Um, yeah. I, I take tips from no, trust me, let me back up. All new traders will do it. We've all done it. I've followed alerts. I've followed guys on Twitter. I've made all these mistakes. I'm sure Steven has. You will too. But now I know that, I mean, I will not take ideas from someone else. Now I might see some ticker on Twitter and then I'll do my own research and my own plan, but I will never follow others. Um, another book I'd like to review someday is maybe Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. It is a pivotal book in my philosophy or, or, or a pivotal book that influences my philosophy that you have to have your own ideas, be your own trader for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to sound like I'm coming from Mars when I say this, but the thing is like when you d- develop a setup that you do people like, on Mars have a, 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 a janky <laughs> British accent, <laughs> a, little, a Scottish one, a Scottish one. Okay. Okay. A, Scot- right, a Scottish I, Mars. Mars, I, mean, I, Mars I, 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 I didn't know if that's what people from Mars sounded like. I, I was they unsure. Have no appearance. They have no appearance. <laughs> just Martians. Nah, that's a terrible accent. No, but I don't know if I'm going to sound like I'm from the rocky red planet of Mars, but um, this might sound mental, right? But, what I've found is like, I've, I, well, you start trading the same setup over and over and over. So there's been a lot of stocks like biotechs that have gapped up 30%. And for me, I've got, I've become accustomed to the price action and you learn when it's, when this pattern looks stronger than usual, when it looks weaker than usual, and you become accustomed to how it's trading in comparison to the same time you've seen the same setup. And if you follow someone else's plan, you have no idea how to read that price action. Am I from Mars or does that make sense? No, no. I mean, you're totally right. Because like you said, when, when, when I can't remember, you said it was like Smith or Johnson as an example. But, you know, if, if he follows his tip, how does he know when to sell for profits? How does he know when yeah. to stop out? How does he know when to add? Where, like you just said, 
if you're using the chart, ultimately the chart tells you the right thing. You know, if you, you know, for, for simplicity's sake, if you're buying a breakout, the stock breaks out at two and you see resistance at a buck 80. If you buy it too, the stock fails, you stop out at 180. The chart told you what to do. You're not dependent yeah. on Johnson to tell you, oh, you know, hold tight, add to your position. It'll work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, that's, that's so true. And the thing is, what separates sometimes a profitable trader from a losing trader is, is it's a decision in a matter of seconds. And you just, you need to have the experience. And you, that's why you can't go off tips because you need to make that decision in seconds by watching, watching, watching. One thing that that had surprised again had had surprised me that I had forgotten from my first reading, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, was even though Jesse didn't use charts, he actually kind of talked about you know making fun of these alchemists and stuff, but um, he used technical su- support and resistance because he would talk yeah. about things we talk about all the time, you know, whole dollar, half dollars. He would specifically target stocks that were breaking a hundred, breaking 200, breaking 300 or breaking below 100 for shorts, breaking below 200. So I had forgotten how technical he was without, you know, he wasn't using a chart, but in his head, he knew that if a stock had gone from 30 to 120 and it broke back down below a hundred, there's a good yeah. chance that's a good short. Yeah, and, and he also said what was the, probably the most important thing, and one of the most important things for any traders is to just learn from your mistakes. He said, he said I, would, I would make sure that I never made the same mistake twice. And I mean, if there's, there's probably not a better rule than to trap your trades and make sure you don't make the same mistake twice. Yep. Whether you, I tell you whether you, you know, whether you use Profitly, whether you use Evernote, whether you use spreadsheets, you know, there is a, the, and, and especially, and I actually gave a talk this weekend about this. Um, spreadsheets are great. Don't get me wrong. I love spreadsheets, but if you're just putting in a spreadsheet, your entry, your exit, what you made, what you lost, you're really missing something there. As Jesse said, you need to build your confidence. As Steven said, you need to know what you're doing wrong. And there is a strong, strong case to be made for a diary, a journal, whatever you want to call it. I don't care if it's a sentence, if it's a paragraph, or it's 100 pages. You should be writing down, thinking through what you did right, what you did wrong. Will you retain all that? No. But will you have a better chance of retaining it? Yes. I mean, it goes back to the old saying. I mean, I, I like to think of myself as a wise man beyond my years. And it, it, there's a saying that... Well, if you, a, were, if, if, if you were like six years old, I would consider <laughs> you a wise man behind, beyond your years. So I like to think of myself as a bit of a wise man. But uh, there's an old saying, and it's fool me once, yep. joke's on you. Fool me twice, joke's on me. And it's the same with trading. If you make, the same, if you make a mistake once, there's no harm in it. Yeah, but if you make it and, and twice, you have to, you know, you have to make those mistakes to recognize them. You know, if you make it twice, it's not very nice. I mean, and I, I, that just rhymed. I didn't even mean to rhyme that, but <laughs> now on the <laughs> on the flip side, I will say, keep in mind, in, 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 and you're very right. Your analogy is very true, but keep in mind in trading. You're never done. You're you're never you're never complete yeah. as a trader. I've made you know I've made the same mistakes yesterday as I did eight nine years ago. But what is difference? The confidence Jesse talks about, the experience allows you to recognize that mistake, and now 
instead of a four-figure, five-figure loss, it's a three-figure loss. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. And that's why you don't use leverage because... And that's why I don't use leverage because I don't want you guys to be recording season two, episode three, and we'll all log on together. And one day, Stephen's not there anymore yep, because, yep. because he's blew, he's blew up and he's moved back to Newcastle and he's digging coal mines. I don't want that to happen. So, I, so let's move on. I'd, I'd say let's move on to the next clip yeah, I'd you know, where he, he talks about preparation, which obviously yeah. you know I love preparation. The first change I made in my play was in the matter of time. I couldn't wait for the sure thing to come along and then take a point or two out of it as I could in the bucket shops. I had to start much earlier if I wanted to catch the move in Fullerton's office. In other words, I had to study what was going to happen to anticipate stock movements. I had to go further back than an hour in my studies of the market, which was something I never would have learned to do in the biggest bucket shop in the world. Now, now Tim, I know you've got a lot to say. I'm just going to quickly put it into context. Yeah. So this is Jesse in the book. He, he made money in the bucket shops, but he couldn't make money in New York. And he went back and forth several times and failed in New York. And this is what started to make him successful in New York. He started to prepare and then he started seeing results. So well, and what what I like it, what he talks about is basically what what we talk about, and what a, what our you know um, what our, you know our friend Tim Sykes talks about all the time is he's doing Jesse's doing pattern recognition here. What he what he said is in the bucket shops he'd just show up in the morning, look at what stocks were trending up, he'd buy them. If a stock was trending down, he'd short it. What he's doing now is he's reviewing past price action. You know, I, I think I made this comment in, in season one that history doesn't re- in these stocks, especially these momentum stocks, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes and you need to be able to recognize past patterns. Yeah, but he also he just started looking at yeah the history. I think he started putting a bit more preparation in. And he started putting a bit more groundwork in. And, and, and that's, that's where I saw a bit of difference as well. And I know other traders who said when they started getting up a few more hours earlier and really keeping track of stocks, I mean, it's obvious if you look at 20 stocks over two hours, you're going to find probably the, the most highest probability one to trade. But if you just look at any stock and jump in without a plan, you're probably not going to pick the right one. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, I, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of getting up early. I get up at 4:30 pretty much every day, mainly because of exactly that. I want to be, you know, I joke about it all the time, but uh, you know, the market isn't a truly a zero sum game. But to me, it's a zero sum game. I, I come in wanting to be up before the enemy. I, I get that from Jocko Willink, a retired Navy SEAL. I get up early to prepare. Because I want to be up before the enemy because ultimately my goal is to take Steven's money, okay? There's another guy on the other side of that trade. I know it may sound mean, it may sound malicious, but ultimately that's what a market is. There's buyers and there's sellers. Whether you're long or short, you're trying to be right and take the other guy's money. How are you going to do that? You got to be prepared. Uh, it's pretty scary as well because you almost get a small kick out of it or maybe I'm just... Man, man, malevolent, malevolent. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a bad person, but I got a kick of seeing a hundred dollars go in my account, thinking I took that from other people. Uh, but it's their fault. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, trust me, I think pretty much every trader would admit to that uh, uh, fetish. Maybe that's not the right term, but yeah, I mean, I mean, when especially. You know, I mean, I mean, you really see this in the uh, in the short seller community. They seem to celebrate 
and relish, <laughs> you know, taking the money from the foolish longs and the chasers and so on and so forth. Yeah, but it's kind of like it's their fault for not putting the work in and not mm-hmm. putting the preparation in. And I've been there. I've been unprepared. But yeah, I mean, I'll pick on I'll pick on these short sellers again for for picking on you know I'll pick on them for picking on chasers and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, as a chaser, if if you show up at nine thirty or nine twenty nine a.m. and there's a stock up one hundred and twenty percent and you buy it at the open. Uh, excuse my language and we can bleep this out, but you get what the f- you deserve. If you, if that's, if that's how you trade ultimately the market, if, if you show up at nine twenty nine, buy a stock at nine thirty one, the market will give you what you deserve. Trust me. But the thing is though, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people who are probably listening to this are going to be thinking, Oh, that's all good for you and Tim saying you get up early and two hours early and you, and you find the best stock out of the 20, but how do you find the best stock? It's kind of been covered, but I don't know if you want to recap it. Well, again, it's, it's, it's experience. You know, we went all, of, all over it a lot in season one. We'll talk about it a lot more, but remember it's, it's, it's building the case. Okay. Again, for, for discussion, let's assume we're looking at a stock up big. Does it have news? Is it quality news? Is it breaking through key levels? You can quickly weed out stocks that are just up on no news or not breaking through key levels or that have, you know, descending charts, you know, or, or they have pending financing, but it takes time. Does it take six hours? No, but it certainly takes more than showing up to the market at 915. No, and and it does take a really long time. Like I remember being eight months in, nine months into my journey, and just thinking, "Ah, oh, shit!" And I, I need to look at when it does gap up. If it has a big red day, and if it does have a big red day, I'm not going to buy it because it'll probably have a red day again. Stupid stuff like that. I still forget. I get reminded in stocks that trade pro, <laughs> half do- whole dollar, half dollar, <laughs> key points. Yeah, but but don't also, <laughs> also remember. It, it is repetitive. It is time consuming, but you get faster at it. Okay. So it's like any skill. Okay. If, if you asked a bricklayer to lay a hundred bricks versus me with no bricklaying experience, I mean, he's, he's going to kick my butt, you know, we're both, we're both laying bricks. So it, you get faster with experience. No, and I, I agree. I think that's dead, dead, dead true. So what's the next clip? In a narrow market, when prices are not getting anywhere to speak of, but move within a narrow range, there is no sense in trying to anticipate what the next big movement is going to be up or down. The thing to do is to watch the market, read the tape to determine the limits of the get-nowhere prices, and make up your mind that you will not take an interest until the price breaks through the limit in either direction. So what I love about this is something we talk about frequently. You know, it's, it's, it, I'm going to relate it. You know, Jesse again had a little longer time frame. He would day trade, but most of his were, you know, swing trades, multi-day, multi-week. But I, I constantly talk about, you know, avoiding midday trading when stocks yeah. are just going sideways, when yeah. stocks are barely moving up or down. It will grind you. It will grind your account down. It will grind your energy down. It will make you hate your life if you try and trade sideways markets. Yeah, like I, like I can't believe it. Just as soon as I heard that, I immediately just thought, uh, September, <laughs> yeah, August, yeah, August, 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 was, August yeah. more August. September was okay. I just thought August. And if you can make money in August, then you're a very good trader because it's better to just stay away. Because 
I just, I literally can't believe the, the volatility in October. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and what happens is, you know, again, I talk about energy a lot and, you know, getting sleep, getting rest, eating right, exercising, all this stuff. But what will happen if you try and trade a market like August and, and a market like Jesse was talking about, I mean, it, again, it burns you up in commissions, you know, Definitely. and it burns you up your account because it's a $50 loss. It's a $100 loss. It's a $50 loss. It's a $100 loss. And it just burns up your energy. Then when you get into mid-September and October, like we've seen, you know, leading into this podcast, all of a sudden you're not rested and ready, you know, ready to kick some ass because you tried trading a sideways market. No, and, and I know everyone's desperate to prove themselves and I've, I've always been desperate to prove myself and be like, I can't do it. I will do it. I'll do it now. But the best thing to do is just watch repeats of history. <laughs> yep. Watch, watch old webinars or video lessons or whatever it is uh, if, if times when it was more volatile so you know what you're doing there and then when it does yeah. pick up i was talking to a, a trader the other day and he actually um had great success in the spring you know this spring 2017 and he'd been you know he'd been on his journey for a while and, and he and he had great success in the spring and you know ironically and i and i talked to him back in august i almost you know i felt bad for him but he decided to basically go full-time trading like at the end of July. And, uh, you know, and I talked to him like midway through August. I mean, he was frustrated, you know, he's like, like, it's just not working, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, number one, relax. But I'm like, I I mean, sometimes I'm brutally honest. I'm like, dude, the last out of the last two years, you picked the single worst possible month to go full-time trading yeah. you know august 2017 was brutal in low price stocks i'm like scale your size down trade smaller trade less and let's wait for fall and i've been talking to him actually i think last week yeah last week which was maybe the nuttiest week in low price stock history and he's crushing it again so it's a perfect yeah. example of being willing to wait and be willing to trade when the market is ready to be traded. And sometimes just wait and waiting for the setup as well. My biggest mistake when I was learning was trying to trade too many different setups. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just find a setup that works. And if, if you don't see it, don't trade it. Don't trade anything else. I, I'm, I'm going to quiz you here. And this will be the last, last point before we move on to the next quote. I want to see how well you, I want, I want to see how well you <laughs> listened to this book since you didn't actually read it. Do you remember, do you remember probably the most famous Jesse Livermore quote that would possibly relate to sideways markets and relate to me as an, as a fishing, uh, you know, as a big fan of fishing fishing enthusiast. Yes. Do you know the quote? Oh my God. I'm such a failure. Wait there. So it's, you're not Googling Um, it. <laughs> my hands are, my hands are, my hands are here. My hands are here to the to the YouTubers. <laughs> um, so it's got something to do with you fishing, and it's also related to what Jesse Livermore was saying about sideways sideways markets. Yep. So because remember, That's, Jesse was an, a big fan of fishing too. So yeah, he was. He was a big fan of fishing, and he fished on his yachts, and he made money. But the the quote. <laughs> 
right, you're not going to do it. I'm, I'm going to. I know. I'm going to know the quote when you say it. I it think is, it's, just, is, yeah, I it think it's is, a bad question. And actually, I, I want. Question. I've wanted to get this on a shirt forever, and I've always forgot. Maybe we'll get a stocks of trade shirt with this on there, or a steady trade shirt with this on there. His favorite, one of his most famous quotes, and my favorite quote is: "There's a time to go long, there's a time to go short, and there's a time to go fishing." And uh, really? side, like what, what he said in that sideways market quote we played is exactly that. When the markets weren't moving, he got on the yacht and he went fishing. Yeah. I honestly, honestly, didn't hear that quote in that book. Is there, does he really say that in the book? There's a time to go long, time to go short and a time to go fishing. Uh, you'll find it. That's your homework. All right. Maybe I will listen to it again. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I feel like a failure, but it's okay. I'll bounce back on the next clip. <laughs> The successful trader has to fight these two deep-seated instincts. He has to reverse what you might call his natural impulses. Instead of hoping, he must fear. Instead of fearing, he must hope. He must fear that his loss may develop into a much bigger loss and hope that his profit may become a big profit. It is absolutely wrong to gamble in stocks the way the average man does. Favorite quote of the book for me that absolute favorite this was the quote that i took the most away from and it's so true when people are going long they're thinking oh my god it's gonna go up it's gonna go up it's gonna go up and they don't fear that it's gonna go down and and then people lose because they're chasing what they think's gonna happen and they're thinking with hope rather than fear yeah, I mean, I mean, there, you know, it kind of thinks, makes me think of, you know, another quote, but it's the classic Warren Buffett quote of there's a, you know, you know, be fearful when others are greedy. Okay. And be yeah. greedy when others are fearful. So, um, if you see a rational exuberance, if you see people that just think this stock is going to the moon, that's when Jesse would think, hmm, maybe this is a time to start getting short this stock. Yeah. And, and whenever anyone loses and thinks, oh, but I was so sure it was going to happen, I think, well, like, don't be so sure because you've got to be, as soon as you're in it, you've got to be looking at the price action thinking, am I going to lose? Am I going to lose? Am I going to lose? Does it look weak? Does it look weak? Yeah, I think one of the, uh, you know, one of the, it, it's interesting. Well, of course, of course, again, everything, you know, every, history just repeats in humans. I mean, humans are unchanged for hundreds of years, but I like to, I like to maybe cut some of the people a little bit of credit back then because they didn't have charts. They didn't have the internet, but you know, to study these things and and figure out, Oh, okay. You know, you know, they were just purely just speculating, just hoping to be the next, you know, JP Morgan, but it's ironic to to this day, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see someone or you'll talk to somebody and they'll say, you know, I love Snapchat. It's going to a hundred dollars. And it's like, well, have you looked at the chart right recently? Do you realize Snapchat is, you know, 70% off of its highs? So what's wild to me is we have all this information and all these tools like stocks to trade, but nobody, nobody chooses to get educated and they still a hundred years, 200 years, 300, 400 years after the, you know, the tulip mania or after the East India company, they're still making the same mistakes. Yeah. But, but it's a lot of people do though, especially new traders, they kind of like, when, when they have profits, they're like, the, the fear of losing them and they try and lock them in, lock them in and people lock in gains way too quick. And that's one thing I learned from you, especially in Stocks to Trade Pro, it's to let your runners win a little bit more and, and go for that bigger percentage and yeah. don't let your losers run so much, cut them tight. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's ultimately the one of the biggest things new traders struggle with is they take losses too quick and they take or I'm sorry they take gains too quick and they take too long to take losses. You know they'll they'll have a stock that moves in their favor twenty cents they take the fifty dollar profit. Meanwhile, that yeah. goes against them a dollar and they ride the two hundred dollar loss. I mean, yeah. you don't have to be a mathematician to figure out where that trend is going to go. Yeah, but uh, the, the one change that I've noticed for me, and, and I, ho- I still struggle with cutting losses sometimes, but it's um, letting, I've started, once you become more consistently right, and once you find yourself in the right situation more times than not, when you do end up in the wrong situation, it's easier to cut it because you're like, ah, this this isn't going me way, and normally it does, so it's different. Yeah, it, it all goes back to experience. You you have to be there. And you know, and another tip that I I talk about a lot is is just you know, it, it's hard for a, for a new trader, but you just got to remember, especially like right now, August or I'm sorry, October, November, 2017. I, I've been using the 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 bus stop analogy. I mean, if you get stopped out on a trade, there is no reason to overstay. There's no reason to take a bigger loss because it's just like the bus, man. If you miss one, wait 15 minutes and there's another one coming down the road. Yeah. And probably one tip that I wish someone gave me a, a while back uh, would be uh, take, once you get a move of four or 5%, take half your profits yeah. and then just, and then just let the other half ride and see how far it can go. And if you get stopped out, you get stopped out. <laughs> oh man. So uh, this is a good story. So, uh, Andrew left a lot of you may be familiar with Andrew left from Citron research. Um, I actually got to meet him this weekend and you know, he's a, he's a, uh, I guess I would call him a salty character. Um, you know, he's not afraid to speak his mind or use colorful language. Okay. And, and, and I have a great anecdote for your story. So he and, and, and I'm obviously going to paraphrase. And Andrew, if you if you're listening, which I hope you are, I, I will do my best to to paraphrase your story. But Andrew was uh, going through a divorce, and you know he's known as he's probably known as the modern day boy plunger. I mean, he is a short seller that crushes stocks, and he's going through a divorce. And the the judge says. You know, right before he rules, he, he asks Andrew's lawyer, he's like, well, can, can I ask him a question? And the lawyer's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So the judge looks at him and says, Andrew, I have, you know, XX amount of shares of Apple at $100 at the point the stock was trading at like 500 or something. And, yeah. and, and the judge looks at him and he says, what do you think it's going to do next? You know, what, what should I do? And Andrew just looked at him and he's like, well, just take off half. And yeah. he said the, the judge's face just went white. And he was like, yeah. he, muttered, he muttered to himself, take off half. <laughs> I could just take off half. He's up Some like $400 a share on this thing. He doesn't know what to do. He's nervous. This judge is nervous enough that he stops the court proceedings to ask a, a, a he's overseeing this divorce, to ask this guy a question. And he never crossed his mind to just take off half. No, but it's, 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 it's an obvious one once you get more into it because you take off half and you think half me profits are locked in. Yep. I don't need to worry anymore. It's not, it's, no matter what, it's not a losing trade. I've locked in half. And I'll tell you, you know, I did my best, but <laughs> Andrew did such a better job. You know, he's a great storyteller, I'll tell you what. 
Cool. Uh, so what, what have we got next in, in little the boy plunger Astoria, who's probably now a man and he's probably in his 20s by this point in the book. And the conclusion that I have reached after nearly 30 years of concentrating both on a shoestring and with millions of dollars back of me is this. A man may beat a stock or a group at a certain time, but no man living can beat the stock market. A man may make money out of individual deals in cotton or grain, but no man can beat the cotton market or the grain market. It's like the track. A man may beat a horse race, but he cannot beat horse racing. Yeah, and what you know, it ultimately it's you know there's there's a million different anecdotes for this, but but you know the market is always right. You're you know you know you can you can fight. You can you can add to a loser, you can deposit more money, you can leverage up, but ultimately the market is always right, and and you can be you can be short, especially especially right now, you can be short yeah. the shadiest, ugliest, most borderline bankrupt stock with 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 owners and directors that are. You know, former felons have committed fraud, have done everything wrong in the world. But if that stock is up, you're wrong, not the market. Yeah, I mean, it, it just reminds me of HMNY when I see it go from from the twos. It's gone from the. I mean, it's it's formerly known as a bit of a shady company, from oh, what I know. I just, you know, the worst, not of a the good worst. One. Yeah. <laughs> and to be from the twos to the twenty sixes, I saw an Instagram message from Docs. He posted on his live feed. He was just like HMNY and one of those, one of those laughing faces because he's just like I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah. And again, if you're if you're listening to this down the road, bring up the chart of HMNY. Basically, I'm pretty sure the run started on about September 14th or 15th, 2017. We're you know we're recording this in mid October, and it's yeah, it's gone from like the low twos to a high of like 27 today, and it's really showing no. Point of slowing down at this point. It went parabolic, exponential move on Friday. Another ridiculous move today. Who knows where if, when you're listening to this? But that is a, a, a perfect example of you can you can do your plan, you can do your thesis, you can do days, hours, months of research. But ultimately, the market is always right. Yeah, and and my all my biggest losses have come from fighting the trend. Just <laughs> fighting trends is just the stupidest thing you can ever do. Just cut your loss. Just cut it. You know, and that's but what Jesse. Yeah, and, and that's what Jesse makes the point he makes in that, uh, where he mentions, "Hey, you might be able to beat individual stocks," but his point is, and he talks about being bearish and being bullish a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, ironically, you know, the market used to have more noticeable trends. I mean, we, we've been in a bull market since, since basically since Steven was in diapers. So it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to talk about bull and bear markets when we're in a 10, basically a 10 year bull market. But what he's talking about is you can, you can find specific stocks that you can short in a bull market. You can find specific stocks that you can buy in a bear market but ultimately, like you said, if you fight, try to fight the trend, you're doomed. So, 
Yeah, I think there's one more clip that we've got, and it's a really good one. And I think I think Tim Bourne will like it a lot. I think he's stolen some <laughs> things from it in the past, actually. Hey, I, borrow, borrow, I prefer the term. Borrow, borrow. <laughs> Nowhere does history indulge in repetition so often or so uniformly as in Wall Street. When you read contemporary accounts of booms or panics, the one thing that strikes you most forcibly is how little either stock speculation or stock speculators today differ from yesterday. The game does not change, and neither does human nature. You know, it's funny because um, as 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 he obviously, I just read this book a couple of days ago, so I sure I, I'm sure I'm borrowing plenty from Jesse. But it's ironic that in in my opening statement, I basically said exactly what he said, and it is it is as I reread this thing, I, I you know I can't I was almost I mean awe maybe a strong term but i was just like i was like smiling giggling because i'm like holy crap this book is a hundred years old and you could take that caption that that clip right there and you could put it in today's wall street journal you know as we talked as we talked about hmny you could you you know you could take that statement from a hundred years ago and drop it in an article about hmny today you know yeah and 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 it's the same it's the same with the book that talks about the tulip mania and um and when the stock market first got started and uh, i think it was in france it first got started what's the book what's the book uh uh um, popular delusions and madness of crowds yep yeah another popular finance book that i I, I got through the language was quite tough for me highly recommend it's it's, it is a difficult read but it's wild to read a 400 year old book that basically says the exact same thing jesse's saying and then the exact same thing we're saying in 2017 and and honestly i i would like to hope that in 3018 or in 2218 people are listening to this podcast being like can i believe tim bones talking about that <laughs> and it still happens in 3018 and they'll be on spaceships with me and moss <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's funny because again being 10 years into this you know what we've talked about um there's been so many times uh when 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 uh you know the market would slow down a little bit say like august or or even in previous years and everybody would everybody would freak out low stock low low price stocks are over you know short selling is over when when we got the ssr rule you know a couple years ago yeah. oh short selling is is over when we got the five cent tick pilot rule, which you can Google these terms or we'll talk about them more in the future. When the five cent tick pilot came out, everybody's like, Oh, it's over in penny stocks. These regulations come and go regulations change. The names change. The stocks change the stock market and human nature do not change. And this book is proof of that. I like it. I like it. And I just want to ask you one more question before we wrap it up, Tim. What What would you say was your your favorite part of of all of the moments? What was your favorite part of the book? You know, again, I think that the biggest thing, a favorite part. Um, you know, obviously, I knew Jesse's story. I was familiar with it, but I think my favorite part was just really learning, relearning about the bucket shops. Um, there was I don't know why. But that was just very interesting to me. And it was one of those things, one of the reasons I like, re- I, do, I do listen to Audible books, but one of the things I like about reading is, you know, you're kind of like 
you've got that mental image in your brain. And I just saw, you know, all these guys with the, with the cigars and the heavy coats and this big chalkboard. And here, all it is, is just the tape. And, and actually one of the funny parts was there were several guys in the bucket shops that would actually had taught themselves. I don't know if it's called Morse code or what it's called, but the, but the, 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 the the ticker tape, they would memorize and they could actually act on the audible tones coming across there. So I think my favorite part was just that mental image of this old, this smoky wood panel room, the cigars, the whiskey, and the speculators. G'day. This is Keith from Down Under, and I like to ride my Harley through the mountains while listening to Stephen and Tim on the Steady Trade podcast. You can register to win real, actual prizes at their website, steadytrade.com. And if you like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing report on iTunes. I did. And this is how we say goodbye in Australia, mate. Timey kangaroo down, sport. Timey kangaroo down. Timey kangaroo. Are you happy?